Welcome to the Sexy Sacred Space podcast. I'm your host, CJ Thomas, and I interview radical human beings with innovative views on what it means to be sexy, sacred, and balanced, both externally and within themselves. We talk about everything from disrupting the status quo to powerful esoteric self-care practices, embracing social change, and more. This show was created to help you make and take up your own sexy, sacred space. So let's go. Welcome to the Sexy Sacred Space podcast. I'm your host, CJ Thomas. And on today's show, I have an amazingly special guest that is super near and dear to my heart, Krista Holland. She is a woman who helped me find my voice back when I was taking her 200-hour Surya Soma yoga teacher training. And she also showed me how to connect to my own internal rhythms, as well as sacred sisterhood through her powerful Wednesday night drum circles. We met in an incredibly synchronistic way, and little did I know she was going to lead me on a journey of deep self-discovery and fierce independence that opened the doorways to my career. Her knowledge, her skill, and her deeply devotional commitment to community, authenticity, and creating her own pathways in society is why I've invited her onto the show today. So welcome to the show, Krista. Thank you so much, CJ. It's so great to be here talking with you today. And it's so awesome to have you and to hear your voice. I moved away from Ashland not too long ago for those listeners out there. And so this is the first time that we've really like been able to sit down and have a conversation in a while. Well, I'm so glad to be here with you and reconnect. I miss you here in our Ashland town, but I'm hoping that you're finding a new way in the world and your new location and enjoying that and feeling supported. Thank you. I definitely am. And I want to start off our show by asking you the question that I ask all of our guests that come onto the show, which is, how are you making space in the world or taking up some space for yourself these days? Okay, wow. Um, How am I making space? Well, I think about space and I think about that in relationship to community and culture and society and how we build culture and what is the mythos of our culture and how we are co-creating that and how we are individually creating what it means to be alive in these times and how to create a life and a livelihood and all of that. So yeah, thinking about space and how we live in space together and what what kind of yeah I don't know about taking up space um I think that that's an interesting idea of how we take up space I think that I'm trying to create my own pathway and that has been an interesting journey of discovery and it's sort of another never-ending process of how to live a life of creativity intuition artistry, co-creation. So I make space in my circles for people. And I think the circle is actually something that really comes to mind with space in general. I'm really interested in how we work in circular 
leadership, circular learning style, so different than a hierarchical system, but how we can co-create space. Thank you. What a beautiful response to that question. And I just love the idea of, of that circular co-creation and, and changing the narrative around, you know, that idea that there's a leader, that there always has to be a leader involved. And I actually recently saw your, your Facebook post about um, creating a new mythos. Can you kind of explain a little bit to us? Cause you did speak on that a little bit. What, what is that term mythos and, and what does it mean to create a new mythos in our society these days to you? Well, to me, mythos is about our mythology. It's about there's our symbols, our storylines, the narrative, who's telling the story, what's the dominant voice in our in a culture and growing up in western culture here in the united states with the media being so prolific there seemed to be like a dominant voice that was telling the story and to be honest i never really related much to a lot of what the media was presenting so i didn't really actually get into necessarily watching like a lot of tv or anything like that. And so it left me actually with a lot of free time on my hands growing up because I didn't really indulge that. So then where was I getting entertainment? And a lot of that started to be in researching ancient history and researching different kinds of cultures and what the stories were and what the myth was and how we are constantly creating, recreating story really and even in the media they're storytellers and when we're watching a movie somebody's telling a story and it's such a beautiful medium but I I think that it's been interesting now that the internet has come along because I feel like it's this huge opening for people to bring their voices to the conversation and to create the mythos like how do we want our culture to unfold do we want to go with the narrative that's been given to us by a certain segment of society or group of people? Or do we want to start to add into the story or create our own uh, part of the, the tale and the telling? And I'm seeing that happen more and more where there's more voices coming to the fore and it feels like an incredible possibility and potential now that we're weaving in our voices in a different way. And that to me is the mythos. Mm, I love that. And it it reminds me of something that a friend and I um, were talking about on another episode about the fact that, you know, these days there are so many less gatekeepers to how we're able to share our voices in the world. Um, You know, if you wanted to be an artist in the past, it was like you had to, go through all of these different red tapes, so to speak, to, to get your voice out there. And now we have the internet and we have social media and we have this ability to turn on a camera on this little handheld device that we carry around with us 24 seven and speak to the masses in a way that we've never been able to before. Um, and so it's interesting because it seems like that might be kind of a way that we're able to shift that story and who the storyteller is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I know like 
growing up for you, your your background probably looks a little bit different from the typical background of um, someone growing up in the West. Can you share with us what that looked like for you? Well, well, <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like it's been quite a journey. I think I grew up in a very, hmm, how do I say? Well, I think it was a very different childhood than most. And I think we can all say that. I mean, we all have our unique story and our unique path. Um, I grew up in primarily Southern California and to um, a single mother that was a massage therapist, body worker, and really a seeker, actually. And so I had a really amazing mother, actually, who took me on a lot of incredible adventures and brought me to a lot of different teachers and spiritual teachers and took me to India at 12. And so there was that. And then it was kind of a mix in there with what was the culture of Los Angeles at the time. And that was really an amazing experience and really challenging as well, given what the culture was actually at the time and the mix of cultures and what the dominant storyline was. Um, there's just so much there that it's, yeah, it was, it was quite extraordinary and challenging. And there's some things that really stuck out or stuck out, stick out about it. Going to India was a huge uh, pivotal point for my family, my sister and I, I was 12 and she was 15 and my mom had already gone to India and basically sent for us. And so we traveled there um, unaccompanied by another adult and made that journey the first time across seas. And when we got there, it really shook me in a sense to my roots, just being able to immerse into this other culture. And it was so beautiful and shocking. And there was um, just some really amazing things that happened for us. And even when we got there, it was funny because my mom hadn't actually told us that we were going to be living in a bamboo hut with no running water or electricity. And she sort of sprung that on my sister and I when we took a taxi like three hours to the little town that we were going to stay in. And when we got there, we pulled up to a cornfield and we looked to the side and there was a hut. And she was like, well, here we are. And so that just set us off on this really amazing adventure and went to an ashram that she was um, involved with. And that's a whole other sordid, uh, fascinating tale of what happened with that. But it's a little bit of it. There was a lot of adventure, if we could say that. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. What a culture shock to arrive to your new home with no running water and you know, to be so young. And I'm sure that that probably really shaped the way that you, you kind of looked at life. How did that, how did that change things for you in terms of looking at, you know, things like abundance and, and, you know, just looking at things like success and what it means to, to have, have things of value in your life? Yeah, well, that's a great, um, Great inquiry. And it actually did affect that in a very powerful way because what it taught me, first and foremost, being over there in India and being immersed in that 
culture that was really in a sense a subculture because we were at an ashram and there was a lot of Western people and there was also Indian. So it was kind of mixed culturally, but there was a lot of wealth in the ashram and a lot of poverty outside. And so that was a huge contrast for me. And just even walking to the ashram, coming along these beggars and actually, to be honest, these beautiful, just amazing women mostly. And there was a couple that one in particular, actually, that I was so drawn to, and we actually made a connection that each day I would see her, and she had this beautiful, tiny little baby, and it was really the tiniest baby I'd ever seen. And I would sort of talk to her in her broken English and my grasping to communicate, um, but there was such a beauty there that I saw. And also in the ashram, we were really receiving this teaching that life was to be lived from the inside out and that there was this great possibility that we could tap into abundance and beauty and um, spirituality really from the inside out and that life wasn't necessarily about all of the external rewards and all of that. And it was a very big contrast to living in Los Angeles because the dominant message that I felt like I was receiving was about outer success and accolades and all the trappings of being near the Hollywood film industry and the wealth that was there in Los Angeles. So it was a huge contrast. And I did walk away with it, having this insight that life could be lived in this way in in an interior sense and that was the journey was actually to go inward and it also left me quite frankly um grappling with how to be in the outer world and how to actually forge my path and make a way in the world because i in a sense was conditioned to start on the inside first mm -hmm. so the outer world has actually taken me a long time to figure out which i'm i imagine many people can relate it's not that easy often to figure out how to exist subsist thrive in this culture yeah absolutely and it's it's interesting because we live in this time where it seems like the idea of independence and um you know doing for yourself is so valued it's put on a pedestal but really like community is is more important now than i think it's it's ever been because the life as we know it is really shifting and so i'm interested in knowing you know like how because now you you're a holder of communities i, I would call you a community builder you're a yoga teacher and a drum teacher and I'm curious, you know, when, when and how did you find your connection to the external world? Well, I love that you bring up community. It's actually um, kind of a really powerful point in my life because when we got back from India, I actually fell into a very predatory environment without a lot of community. And my mom had sort of joined a cult at that point, and so she wasn't really available Though luckily I had a really strong bond with her and a lot of sort of attachment parenting early on. So it gave me a root and a stability inside myself. Also, the fact that I had received these teachings really from India and from yoga about having a connection to an inner uh, source on, and to source energy. But once we were back in Los Angeles, I was thrown into this very tumultuous 
isolated, lonely, um, predatory environment, actually. And it was dangerous. And there wasn't community. And I didn't have resources of people that I could turn to that I that I could see at the time. And so there was a lot of shuffling around and um, just really edgy life. It was, um, yeah, a lot of insecurity of how I was going to just be in the world. So I came from a really extreme place in that sense of um, not having solid community, not really having a solid home life or family life when I was going through adolescent adolescence, and then also a lot of adult um, dysfunction and drug abuse and just the predatory quality that came with that. And so as I became a young adult, I started really contemplating community, actually. And I was writing a lot in my journal. I was doing what's called the morning pages. If any of your listeners are familiar with Julia Cameron's work, The Artist's Way, it was a book that really was pivotal for me. And she recommends doing three pages each morning, stream of consciousness. One of the things that came out of that writing, I remember, was this really deep desire to experience community in this lifetime. And it just became this really deep calling. I I just thought, you know, I really would love it if there's anybody listening. And I don't know how, you know, how much we create our lives and how much it's happenstance. But if there is a possibility that we can have a hand, I'm calling for that really strongly, which actually eventually led me to leaving Los Angeles, moving to Oregon. And it was serendipitous because I didn't actually realize I was moving into a very solid community. And what I have found here in Southern Oregon is that I have had the chance now over the last decade, 13 years to experience what is community and work with that and be in that. And um, you said you consider me a community builder and I hadn't ever really thought about that, but thank you. I appreciate that. And it is um, an incredible experience to be around people and see them repeatedly and get to know different kinds of people. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I I will make sure to put um, that link to the morning pages practice in the show show notes so people can get to know that. And thank you for sharing your process with that. I think it's really beautiful that community was something you called in and, and you found it. I think that that in itself is a testament to the fact that, you know, maybe we do create our reality. Hey, Space Makers, CJ here. And I want to ask you, how are you feeling right now about your ability to make space in the world? As you all know, you are powerful creators and you have the ability to make your dreams come true. Still, sometimes chasing dreams can be hard. But what if you had a companion that would bring you into alignment with everything you ever wanted? A tool that could help you manifest your wildest dreams. Now you do. I've written a 28-day guide to help you manifest with the power of the moon. It's a guide you can use again and again, and it's called Right by the Moon, a 28-day journal companion to manifesting with the cycles of the moon. Get your copy today at Amazon.com and start manifesting your dreams. Now, back to the show. 
know that you yourself have been an entrepreneur for quite a long time. And I would love to hear about your journey with that and how you've been able to sustain that lifestyle um, and what it what it's looked like for you. Wow, yeah, another <laughs> another big one. <laughs> well, yeah, twenty some years ago I really started contemplating this question about how should we live on the world in the world knowing what we know now it's sort of like a a guiding inquiry and do we have a hand like you were saying about co creating our reality or creating our reality and what i what i feel is that it's it's like goal setting it's it's not as magical thinking as I think sometimes it's made out to be. And there is a whole subculture of magical thinking. But for me, the idea of goal setting and writing out what I envisioned in part because of the morning pages was really the pivotal point for me in starting to create a livelihood following a path that had not been made before I was doing something that was unknown to me anyway and teaching yoga and then also being in a sense multi-passionate multi-faceted polymathic if you will doing different things and the idea I had it was actually uh, came from a book I had read called multiple streams of income and in that book, he, I'm sorry, I don't remember the author's name. I read it a long time ago. He was more talking about like different kinds of investments and things, which actually didn't have a lot of relevance for me because I don't come from money in my family to where I just, I just didn't ever live in that world. So it was more about multiple streams of income. I could do this. I could do a little of that. And people really, I think, in the entrepreneurial world, they dissuade that and they talk about niching down. And, and I think that there's really truth to that. But I just knew for myself that I wasn't going to be able to follow just the one thing because I was actually really more interested in how do I create a life than a livelihood. And I, I, I we have to do both. Um, so that's been a, a, a big journey. But I felt this really strong um, I don't know what the word is. I just felt a strong impetus towards creating a life. And perhaps it goes back to the teachings I received in India that in a sense where we can do our lives from the inside out. And I don't necessarily think that that makes it easier to create a livelihood. In fact, and I think it might even make it harder in some regards, but there's a lot of value and a lot of satisfaction and a lot of meaning along the way. So my life has had a lot of meaning. And to be honest, I'm still trying to figure out how to create a livelihood in this economy and in this culture. And I'm, it's still in process. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And so what are some of the ways that you have created this life and, and the different paths that you've taken? Um, I know yoga is one. Well, growing up in Los Angeles, I was around a lot of wealth, though my family didn't have that, but it also created a very deep impression. And what, what it left was that a certain level of wealth, there's a beauty to that in the sense that 
like in, in Los Angeles, people have these really amazing landscapes and are able to cultivate gardens or be in natural places and be in that beauty. And I remember thinking, well, I don't know how great I'll be at making a livelihood because it's so far removed from any kind of education I've ever had or anything like that. But if I could create beauty, if I could make a garden and I started gardening and I actually became a landscape designer and a permaculturist and it was the seed that got planted that felt like if I can co-create with nature, if I can connect to nature, I'll always live in a sense of abundance. Plants are so abundant. It's so much where we get our, our, our health and our wellness is from connecting to natural environments but in Los Angeles there was so much concrete that in a sense I felt like I had to create it and so I was gardening and that gave me such a deep feeling of abundance and I did make a nice livelihood off that for the time that I was doing that and that became a stream of income and then of course teaching yoga which any yoga teacher will tell you that's being honest is that's not, you know, why we teach yoga, but we also are creating a livelihood. If we live in the West, we don't have a culture like in India. If you're a sadhu or a seeker, oftentimes the community would give alms and they would help that person to live that spiritual life. But we don't have that tradition in the West. We're all beholden to be in this economy. So I would um, teach yoga, and, and now I do trainings, and then also the sacred drum, teaching that to women, and art. I work with my hands. I create. I craft. So it's been a multiple stream of income, coaching, yeah, private lessons, and it's been very fulfilling to do that, though I, I can't say that it's the most lucrative of careers and that's okay there's a lot of meaning and and value mm, and i feel like at the end of the day that's the real wealth is it's finding that meaning and finding the things that bring passion to your life and make you happy and bring passion to the lives of other people um and what's really amazing and just super inspirational to me is the fact that you're able to build these these different businesses, these multiple streams of income. And um, I know that your educational background isn't like the, what people are taught is the background you should have to be successful in building businesses. So I'm curious if you would like to share with us a little bit about what your educational background is. I'm, I'm well, <laughs> another um, I'm basically self-taught. Well, no, let's see. How do I want to say this? Um, I've had some amazing mentors. I've done a lot of deep work. I'm autodidactic. I'm very intrinsically motivated to learn. So I'm always studying. And I had a very tumultuous educational um, background because of the way that I was raised really and what had happened when we came back from India, it's a whole other story that I'll tell at some point, but um, I had a really difficult time in school when we got back. I had been in gifted accelerated classes up until we went to India. Actually, when I came back, our world kind of fell apart in a lot of ways. So 
I fell in between the cracks of the system and there were people that were trying to help me get on track. But there again, I was surrounded by a culture of drugs and predatory behavior and all kinds of things. So, and I didn't have a community to support that. So I found actually through yoga and through the permaculture, it really did spark a very, very deep passion for learning in me. And also, to be honest, I can thank Julia Cameron, the artist's way, because I started writing very prolifically. And it took me on a journey into some really deep studies. And also the sacred drum has taken me into really deep research on the history and the history of that. So I'm very intrinsically motivated to learn and I keep a library of books and I'm just very in, interested in learning. So that, and then also I did have some really amazing mentors and I searched out mentors in my young adulthood because I knew having come from sort of an alternative worldview that that would be one way that I could really garner the type of wisdom that I felt like I was going to need. And to be honest, that I feel like the world needs people that are connected to streams of wisdom that are sometimes in a lineage and sometimes in broken lineage, but it's folk wisdom. It's at times indigenous wisdom. It's handed down. Sometimes it's oral tradition. There's a lot of educational wealth we can receive without necessarily going in the route of academia, though I really admire that. And in my next lifetime, I hope to be, you know, like a PhD Sanskritist or something. That's kind of my fantasy. But for now and in the past, it's a lot of self-education. Absolutely. And that's amazing. I think you're the first person that really taught me about the value of having a mentor. Um, I remember we were in yoga teacher training and you were just speaking to us about how important it is that we find a mentor. And at that time I was like, how do you even do that? I don't, (laughs) I was like, I don't know how to find a mentor. I know that I would love to have one. And it's interesting because I, I went home and I really started thinking about it. And I was like, well, Krista, I feel like is one of my mentors, even if it's not like a one-on-one because you were a teacher and guiding me into this beautiful journey of yoga and self-discovery and, um, you know, just teaching us about how to view yoga and, and teach yoga from our own perspective. And then I started thinking, well, okay, where else can mentors be found? And I thought, well, on YouTube, you know, there are people that I follow and listen to their talks or in different books. And so um, I think it's really important to remember that if you're looking for a mentor out there, it doesn't necessarily have to be someone face to face, but that still is very powerful. And I'm curious for you, Krista, were all of your mentors people that you personally knew or what did that look like for you? I did find personal mentors that I could I could work with and I thought I thought it through very consciously it became an idea that I wanted to follow and really in a sense test a theory on and so Lane Redmond the woman who taught me about the sacred drum she wrote the book when the drummers were women she became a mentor and also David Crow who has a company called Floricopia and there were some other really powerful mentors in my life 
Um, I guess the one thing I could say now looking back, and especially now that my mentor Lane Redmond has passed, is that I wish I had understood how to lean in a little bit more and really honor it on a deeper level than I knew I could at the time. And I think because I didn't realize that we could, in a sense, recreate this tradition in the West of mentorship because it wasn't something that was very well known, at least when I started contemplating it. Um, and so now that I'm also a mentor to others, I feel that it's a very powerful relationship and connection. And it's a lot also about elders kind of helping the next generation. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, I mean, sometimes you can have a mentor that's years or decades younger than you as well. So it's not an age thing, but it's a way of relating that we're sharing information and we're uplifting, inspiring, supporting each other. I think that the world really could use a little bit more of this and especially certain pockets of society and segments of society, people feel like they don't have resources and they often don't have resources. But I think if people that have certain aspects into wisdom traditions or different modalities that they have honed, then they can share that and it can just be a reciprocal process. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I know that one of the modalities that you were, that was shared with you, um, you mentioned Lane Redman and uh, when the women were drummers. And so a big part of your life has been drumming. And I would love if you would share with us just, you know, how you, how you stumbled onto that in how it's changed you and, and helped you find your own personal rhythm, so to speak. Well, that was a, yeah, it was a circuitous, serendipitous thing. I had a boyfriend that was a drummer, and I've told the story a few times now. But anyway, he had a drum set set up at my house once, and I went and I started playing the drum set not knowing he was home. And he sort of came around the corner and he said to me, don't stop, because I immediately tried to put the drumsticks down. I was like, oh, caught. And it really sparked something in me when he said that. And so I went on to study all these different kinds of drumming traditions. And I studied with African drummers. I studied with Cuban drummers. I studied drum set and all different kinds of drums for a really long time. And I didn't know exactly why I was doing it. But I knew that I wanted to play music. and I was a really big um, connoisseur, if you will, of music. I've just seen a lot of live shows, and my mom had a huge record collection. So I grew up a around a lot of music and musicians in Los Angeles, and I really loved that as an outlet and a way to connect. So anyway, long story short, I one time saw that Lane Redman was teaching a workshop in Los Angeles and it said when the drummers were women. And it was a shock to me to see that written because I really had associated drumming as a very masculine instrument. And so I went to her workshop that weekend and she showed a slideshow with maybe a hundred images from the ancient world of women with the frame drum. And the frame drum is where the diameter is larger than the depth of the shell. So it's like a big round moon-like looking drum. 
and you hold it in your hands and you play all these intricate rhythms with your fingers and you use all of your fingers in a very um, sort of mudra-like dancing way with your hands on the drum. And as soon as I took that workshop, given that I already had a drumming background, I just knew that that was what I was going to pursue and that she was going to be my teacher too. I just pretty much told her at the end of the weekend, you know, hi, I'm your new student and will you be my mentor? And I went and I just followed her and took many, many different workshops and trainings with her over the years until she passed away. But the thing that it did, though, was really opened my eyes to the ancient world and how much honoring and veneration of the goddess and feminine principle was really flourishing in these different cultures. So, it's, yeah, it's taken me on a, an amazing journey into researching the cultures and the different goddesses connected to the drum and the priestesses and it's a really vast subject that is still relatively unknown. Mm. And is there a goddess that speaks to you the most or a story about the drum that you would like to share with us today? Well, I'm really intrigued by the connection between the ancient drummers and the bee priestesses of the ancient world. And it's something that I've been researching for 20 years and I still uh, find it to be really mysterious. So there was these women that were bee priestesses, like honey bee priestesses. And there's all this different kinds of lore around it. And it evidently is like a folk tradition that comes from the British Isles, from Lithuania, Greece. And it also shows up in other traditions, even in India and in the Viking traditions. It's also connected connected to what are called the mead maidens so it's a honey wine anyway the drummers of the ancient world were often called the melissa or the melissa which means bee or honey bee and there was a tradition evidently of ritual and ceremony that has connection to these elements of bee bee worship in the sense of understanding the connection that bees have to pollination, to the flowering of our world, medicinal herbs. So it's really tied in with this very organic reverence of the planet, of Gaia, of nature, and then also rhythm and different kinds of ceremony that they were doing. And there's a lot of mystery around it because some of it was oral tradition and there's a lot that's happened since then that some of it was at times forbidden or went underground. And there's a lot that's happened in relationship to the wisdom of the feminine. Mm, yeah. And, you know, I know that just, just through taking that drum journey with you, um, it seems as though the, the story, the the mythos, I guess you would say, behind the drum and the story of these these sacred beekeepers and drummers. And it seems like it kind of washes through to today. And I want to I want to put this in a way that makes sense. Um, but just that, you know, this 
the sacred practice and, and lineage that at one point was buried, it seems like it's something that you're doing a really great job um, based on, you know, what has been passed down to you to uncover, to sort of unearth and bring out in the women in your communities. And I'm curious, you know, what inspired you to, to bring together that first drum circle? Was it based on the, the studies that you've done or um, what you learned from your teachers or what, what was that that sparked that inspiration in you to get women together and drum and to keep doing it? What sparked it was that I was being asked, actually, the women were starting to ask me, and I had been playing really alone in my home for years and years and years. Lane, my teacher, lived on the East Coast. I live on the West Coast. So I didn't get to see her all the time in person. And so it wasn't like a one-on-one -on -one taking drum lessons. We would meet in retreat and we would play in circle. And that was the way that she taught. And she layered in all of these different ways of bringing the myth through and storytelling and different aspects of practice and ceremony, ritual, the slideshows, the history. So she layered in all these elements into that. So I had that training very deeply in my system. And she actually was encouraging me over and over again and really asking me to share it. But I, it took me a long time to, in a sense, find my voice actually given some of my own personal history. So I didn't have that very easily and readily available when I first started. So that's why I was playing alone for years and years. And then as Lane kept asking me and then different women found out that I was drumming and basically asked me to do it. And they called me out to come and do it. And now I'm really glad that that I was called out, so to speak, because it's such a enriching part of my life, and I do want to share it on. And I imagine it as the um, the flower of life. It's a sacred geometry where there's all these different circles that loop together and create this flower. And that's what I think about this drum circle that I've created. Then there will be other circles coming off of that, and eventually, I'm wanting to teach women through an online course that I'm building to have their own drum circles in different parts of the world. And it's just a really great way for women and anybody, any gender to get together and to reconnect. And there's so much science behind it too now, which is really blowing my mind. Mm, yeah. And I know you touched on some of that, um, just that science and how drumming can affect the brain in some of our classes. And it's fascinating. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I appreciate that you answered the call. And it's interesting because it goes back to what we were saying earlier about just how you created that sort of um, destiny of community in your life, or maybe not created, but I guess I could say you stepped onto that path and, and allowed yourself to say yes to it back when you were doing your morning pages. And it just kind of keeps finding you, which is really beautiful. Definitely. I think that there's something to that. And, and it goes back to these morning pages and writing down and writing down goals. It's very powerful. I think that they've done some studies where they follow groups of people and the people that write down what they envision usually have a higher percentage of creating those 
goals or those values. And it's a way to really clarify. And I really credit it to helping me create my life in the way that feels enriching. What I really love about that too, is that it's such an accessible, easy way to, to do so. You know, we hear so much from um, quote unquote spiritual teachers. I'm not really sure <laughs> what category to put them into, but the people who, you know, talk about manifestation and um, just that you have to, you have to be happy or you have to live on a high vibration. There's all these different rules to it. But what I love about what you're saying is, you know, you just pulled out your journal and you just wrote down your dreams. And I just think that that is something that anyone growing up in any situation, whether they have money or they don't, um, you know, it's, it's very easy to get some paper and a pencil or a pen and just go from there and, and be open to whatever could come from it. Definitely. It's, it's really powerful. Plus you're writing down. Yeah. You're not editing it. I mean, it might be like what your the problems you're having or you think you're having your thoughts, streams, thought tangents. It's a really incredible process. I highly recommend it. I actually credit it to making a huge shift in my life and I still do it. I did it today. And uh, yeah, so just, it's a huge part of my practice, my ongoing practice. That's amazing. I love it. And I, it kind of segues into another question that I wanted to ask you. So you spend a lot of time in circles um, with female identifying people, women. Um, and there is just in the, the world that we're in, the culture that we're in, there are different archetypes that you and I have talked about before. The, the mother, the maiden, the queen, and the crone. And I imagine that being in circle with all of these, these different women of different ages and different stages and archetypes themselves, um, you probably see a lot of different reflections. And I'm curious, you know, um, if you want to share with us where you are in your stage, what archetype you feel like you're reflecting out into the world and how you're making space in your life for that archetype right now or how that archetype might be kind of guiding you? Well, I think that we, in a sense, I think that we all are always having all of those archetypes at play or we can if we're aware of them. It's a lot to do with our psychology, actually. And it's a different way. Archetypes in general are ways of relating to qualities in our subconscious or unconscious there's also archetypes that are working through the culture and symbols that are working through the culture so there's that and um yeah I mean I definitely feel the maiden I feel the mother I feel the queen you know I, I haven't really worked as much with that but there's this whole thing about the queen bee and just queen archetype in general I see women and female identifying people talk about that archetype and what that contains. And then the crone, which is a woman of depth and wisdom. And I think that I'm working with all of them at this point in my life. And they're, they're kind of embedded in, in layers. I definitely still feel the maiden like so at the fresh and she's still in there so vital and so 
much a part of my psyche. And the mother, I have a 13-year-old boy, so feeling that really strong. <laughs> and, you know, we kind of joke about that, what it is to be a mother. Um, and even if you don't have children, how the mother archetype shows up in the way we nurture and the way that we create and birth projects and all of that. So I, I really feel like I'm working with all of them. And I can see the crondom in the distance coming and it's like what age that is. I'm not really sure, but I sometimes see the apparition of my elder, like myself as an elder woman kind of beckoning me and talking to me and sharing wisdom with me. And I'm also really aware of wanting to have provisions for her. So I think this is also really important for your listeners of a certain age to start to be in conversation with your own elder in a certain way so that you are thinking about the provisions that she'll be needing or he or they, however you identify or don't identify, um, but just your elder self and to be aware of how you want to honor your own lineage. Yeah, that's really beautiful, that forward thinking and just the, the fact that you can communicate with that that future version version of self and and tap into the needs of what may need to be present in the future. And I, I know that that is something just as an entrepreneur, that's always on my mind and on the friends, on the minds of my friends who are entrepreneurs. And I know you and I have even discussed it as well, but you know, when we live this path of creating, uh, you know, creating our own life, and not in the way that our society is telling us to, not living that nine to five and getting health insurance or life insurance like most people do through their jobs. Um, that's something that really comes up and, and that idea of future stability and what that looks like and how we build that. Mm -hmm. So it's a good one to have in mind and I appreciate you sharing that with us and just sparking that idea in our minds that, you know, we should always be looking at the future and that we also get to be in all of the different stages, no matter where we are in life. Absolutely. I think about some of the young ones I meet that just have so much depth of wisdom. They're like old souls or you can feel kind of the elder somewhere like in there that's going to birth. It's like the acorn and the oak. You can already feel sort of the potential of the wisdom even in really young ones so yeah it's all embedded in there to to nurture into fruition yeah absolutely oh, wow what a beautiful a beautiful conversation that we've been able to have today and thank you for just opening up about you know your your path and how you've gotten to where you are today and the one thing that we haven't touched on is you know a little bit more of your yogic journey and we don't have to go too deep into it, but I do want to get your perspective on what yoga is to you, because I know that that was a big theme um, that we explored in, in teacher training. And when we did, you opened up just a whole new way of looking at yoga than I think I ever did. So I'd love to hear from you what yoga is. Yoga is an amazing system, lineage of practices, techniques, a worldview from India that has a very, very deep, long history, lineage. It's got really amazing roots. It's very ancient. It's indigenous to India. And 
you know, we could talk about how it came to America and how we're receiving that now and all the conversation that could be around that. But I know that we don't have time to go too deep into that. But to me, it's, um, it's a gift. It's been an incredible journey. And I feel like it's a worldview that has an incredible generosity. It speaks to unity, to how we are all connected. It speaks to me about pure consciousness of being able to witness our own thought process about being in our body and about very deep embodiment. It's got reverence for the body and it's a great, it's a great gift to us though. Yeah. Even that word, but it's a worldview that really speaks to how to be connected to ourselves, to each other, to nature, to the cosmos. Mm, absolutely. Thank you. What a beautiful description. And, you know, the one thing that I notice myself in myself is that when I'm teaching yoga, I'm always thinking about the fact that it is a really beautiful practice that hasn't come from my direct lineage. Yet I still have such a deep connection to it because of everything that you just said, because of how how deeply I resonate with it on a mind, body, and spiritual level. And I'm curious, you know, does that ever come up for you? And and how do you how do you address that within yourself? It's definitely come up. It continues to come up. Um, Interesting to have such a powerful experience in a very pivotal time in my life when I was in development, being 12, going to India. In a sense, I felt like there was, I got sort of marinated or dunked into it in a way, and it just really saturated into my being. And yet there's a lot that we need to keep talking about and being aware of about cultural appropriation and how we can work or receive in a system that isn't from our own lineage I'm I'm really allowing the questions to be there and open my ears to listening and to being part of the conversation of what's happening in the west about how we are with yoga how we are in relationship with it and how we are in relationship with India and where we can give back to it and yeah but the the thing about the lineage and whether that goes lineage by like our genetics, our bloodline, how we identify in our color or lack of color, you know, all these really powerful questions and conversations that are up around it. I feel just a really great reverence and indebtedness. And I I love to learn about the history of it and all the different ways it migrated and were colonized. I mean, there's just so much. It's such a rich, deep, important conversation. I feel a lot of gratitude and I'm just, yeah, really looking at how I can give back in a more conscious way. Beautiful. And yeah, I absolutely agree that it's, it's really just in keeping the conversation going about what is the history, where is it coming from and how can we honor that and always keep that alive. Uh, So thank you for sharing that. And Finally, I just want to ask, you know, are there any offerings that you would like to share with us? What do you have coming up in in your world? Well, um, I have sacred drumming 
workshops coming up at different locations. And if women are interested or people, any gender interested, you can find out about sacred drumming, sacreddrumming.com. And on Facebook, I have a sacred drumming Facebook page. So there's that. I'm teaching yoga locally and doing some different trainings that will be coming up at the end of 2020 and teaching my local classes and building more of an online sacred drumming academy for people to drop into and learn about the sacred drum in that forum. So that will be for people that want to learn the drum from just the beginning of how to hold it and play it. And then also a lot about the history with imagery and myth and storytelling along the way. And so they can people can find me at two different websites, KristaHolland.com or The Sacred Drumming. Beautiful. And I can definitely say that if you are looking to take classes with Krista, it's going to be an experience that completely changes your life. It's beautiful and it's just amazing to immerse yourself at least for me it was amazing to immerse myself in something new that I hadn't tried before that challenged me in so many different ways from using my fingers to using my brain to you know learning how to keep rhythm and time and it was amazing so check out those offerings and Krista thank you so much for just taking the time to come on to the show today Thank you so much, CJ. It's been so great to talk with you. And I hope we get to talk again soon. That's our episode for today. I hope you feel empowered to go out into the world and make space for others or just take up some space for your sexy self. You're worth it. If you enjoyed this podcast, I want to know about it. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and listen with your friends because ain't no party like a podcast party, y'all. The music for today's podcast was gifted by Southern Oregon hip-hop artist and producer, Jaya Rays. You can hear more of his amazing music on iTunes. That's J-A-Y-A Rays. Catch you on the next episode. Here is space, here is a wave like crush. By the way, here your heart hears you clearly. What will you say? Here is heat, here you speak. Here is a wheel that turns eternally. A lot of nothing, absolute and empty. Just like